morning, good morning. It's good to be together. Are you ready? All right, we're going to jump right in. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 21. We're going to hover around there for a little bit. I might paraphrase a little bit, and then we'll read some as well. John chapter 21, starting in verse 1. I want to explain what is happening here. Jesus, post-resurrection, has visited his disciples twice. This time, it is in after weeks of, of the disciples knowing that Jesus is resurrected, they, uh, Peter comes to six other disciples and he tells them, hey, I'm going fishing. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going. And they say, ding, we're right with you, let's go. And so they get their boats, they get their nets, and they go to the Sea of Tiberias, which is also the Sea of Galilee, and they push off, and all night long, they are casting their nets. And guess what? Would you know it? They didn't find any fish. Sound familiar? And so as the sun is rising and dawn is breaking, Jesus shows up on the, on the side. And would you know it? He's cooking breakfast. Can I say, can I get an amen on that one? I'm so glad that the resurrected Jesus with his resurrected body is still eating breakfast. Okay, so he's cooking. He's cooking. And, and they have this shouting match that says, hey, have you caught anything? And they look at this, what they think is a stranger on the side, uh, on the beach, and they say, no, we haven't. And so Jesus does what he does best. He sets them up. And he says, throw your nets on the other side. And Peter and John, they look at each other. And it's like, okay. And sure enough, 153 fish fill into the nets. And they look and they do the double take. And John is the one who says it first. It's the Lord. And Peter, who's naked at this moment, puts on his clothes, jumps into the water, which is kind of backwards, right? I would think, whatever. Anyway. He jumps into the water and he swims over because he's got to be with Jesus. And, and, and he eventually, Jesus says, hey, bring me some of that fish. Let's eat some of this stuff. So he pulls the net up on the, on the beach. And there they have the best fish furfur you've ever had. Right? Now, after breakfast, Jesus takes this opportunity to have what we call a come to, come to Jesus meeting with Peter. And so they go on their walk. First off, there's a lot we can learn from Jesus in this. Anytime you're going to have a reconciliation meeting, make sure the person that you're meeting with has a full stomach. Okay? It's a very good lesson to learn. All right? So here they are. They're walking on the beach. And there's something itching inside of Peter, of course. Because just weeks earlier, he denied Jesus three times. Bam. Bam, bam. Can you imagine the kind of weight that Peter is carrying? Can you imagine the, oh, the weight that he's carrying out of Jesus' presence and the weight he's carrying in Jesus' presence? So Jesus knows he's going to deal with this today. And so they're going on this walk. And he, and he says to, to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? And I am assuming that he's pointing at the fish. Okay? I'm, it doesn't say. I'm assuming he's pointing. And, and Peter's like, yes, you know that I love you more than these. And then Jesus says, then feed my lambs. So they keep on walking. And Jesus asks again, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. And then he says, then tend my sheep. And then a third time, Jesus comes again and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter is flummoxed. He's upset. He's distraught because he's already responded. He knows. Je Jesus, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says one more time, tend my sheep, or feed my sheep. And then Jesus prophesies over Peter's life. Most assuredly, this is in verse 18 if you want to follow. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands 
and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. He spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. We know from church history that Peter was actually crucified upside down. Then Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. That guy. Can't get any privacy around here. Following, and uh, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So he's talking about John, okay? Peter, seeing him, said to him, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Sometimes in the, confused, in the confusion, when it gets foggy, when things get scary, it is tempting to go back to what we know. Peter had his fishing that he went back to, that he fell back on, in the space between what was and the space between what is to be, the past feels a lot more secure than the future because we know what it can promise. We know that it will deliver some things. The Israelites knew the onions of Egypt and that's why they complained to Moses, let's just go back to Egypt. They didn't know the milk and the honey of the promised land. We know what's possible through the vehicle of the past because we know it. Here's the thing. Jesus is not interested in what you know. I'm going to say it again. He's not interested in what you know. He's interested in who he has called you to be. The, the caterpillar has never known the butterfly. It's never known being the butterfly. It does not know how to fly it must push beyond its own experience into the newfound purpose that it has. It cannot go back to being a, butter, uh, uh, being a caterpillar anymore. It must press forward. So Jesus graciously catches these seven men. I love it that Jesus handles us with grace. Isn't that nice? When we're confused, he handles us with grace. And by the way, he's like a, he's a sculptor of situations. He, he graciously catches these seven men who have known him, who have watched him, who have seen him raise the dead, heal the sick, day in and day out. He's, he's graciously caught them falling back on what they have known without him. Fishing. The fog tends to do that. The mystery, the confusion tends to do that. So Jesus is actually using the same scene of Peter's calling to restore them back to their purpose. Remember in Luke chapter 5 when the same scenario, Jesus, after they were out all night, they didn't catch anything. And then Jesus says, let's just go out one more time. And so they cast the nets and sure enough, boom. And that's when Peter says, away from me, for I am a sinful man. And then Jesus speaks into his identity and he says, ah, blessed are you, son of Jonah, for I will make you a fisher of men. You remember that? He's using the same scenario, crafting it to restore him back to his purpose. Don't go back to the fish. Press on to your call. So Jesus is going on this walk with, with Peter on this beach. Jesus, Peter denies him three times. He's restored three times. We'll get to that. But I want to focus on John chapter 21, verse 21 through 22. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If, it is, if I will that he remain till I come, what is it to you? You follow me. Jesus, if there's anything right now that we want, it's to be touched by you. If there's anything that we need, it's that your word would transform our lives. So heavenly Father, send your spirit 
right now, fill this tabernacle so that our hearts would be soft to receive what you have to speak to us. In Jesus' name, let nothing get in the way of your seed being planted in our spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I was 13 year old, years old, eighth grade, and I actually was having a hard time making friends, believe it or not. I, I, I was still trying to figure out how to, how to do this social thing. And so I, I devised a plan of joining the track team at the school, the public school. And uh, so I joined, and I didn't really know what I was doing, but the coaches looked at me, and they deemed that I was a sprinter. So they put me on the team as a, as a sprinter, and I got on the 4x100 relay race team, which arguably is one of the best races to watch. Uh, and, and so they put me as the second runner. There's four runners. I'm the second leg, right? And so we trained. We trained with the baton. We learned how to do all that. But I was scared. We were untested. We didn't know exactly what we were doing, but we had our first meet coming up. And so sure enough, we're, we're there. We're warming up. And so uh, the, the, the official, he has the gun, and, and we're all lined up in our lane, and he shoots the gun. And my muscles tense, and I'm waiting for the other runner the first runner, and he's coming, he's coming. And they trained us, you can't look, you can't look, you just gotta trust that he's going to give you the baton, right? And so I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And then sure enough, the cold metal of the aluminum, aluminum smacks into my hand, and my adrenaline injects into my body, and pff, I'm off, right? And the, the theme music of my run starts playing. And I'm hauling, and I'm turning around that bend, and the third runner's there, and he's waiting. And I smack that baton in his hand, and he goes. And then, when, finally, when I slow down, I realize we're winning. I didn't even know that this could happen, and it was probably because of my thick thighs. And so the third running, he's going. Now, the, the transition is about to happen between the third and the fourth runner. The fourth runner is the anchor, right? He's supposed to be the fastest runner. We didn't know if he was fast, but all of us, we were no wearing normal T-shirts and gym shorts. He's the, he's the guy who showed up with the spandex, you know, the, the, the clothing that clings to the body and shows you everything you don't want to see, you know? And so we're like, okay, he'll be our anchor, all right? Because he looks fast. And so he gets the baton, and he goes. And by that point, I, we're ahead by several lengths. I know that we've got this in the bag. We're going to win. And so he comes around the bend, and I'm already celebrating. It's like, yeah, come on. And, and he, he goes, and he breaks the tape. And so we're celebrating, and we're waiting for the officials to come and declare that we won because we, we got first. And they, they don't. As they get up on the podium and announce the scores and, and the winners and losers, we didn't win. Why? Because Mr. Spandexy, as he was running, he was running so fast, but he stepped out of the lane. And that disqualified us. It didn't matter how fast I ran how fast we ran as a team. It didn't matter how hard we practiced, how much, how excellent our baton handoffs were. We didn't stay in our lane. And so we were running somebody else's race. And we got disqualified. When Peter turned his head and looked at John, what was Peter doing? While Jesus was giving him something difficult to swallow, Jesus was prophesying over his life. Part of his call, you will be led where you do not want to go, right? We read it. He is consumed with somebody else's call. He's comparing. What about him? What about her? Isn't it funny how when Jesus gets personal with us, it's easy for us to, it, 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 we can be sensitive. It, it, it's an insecurity maybe. Out of insecurity, we can actually deflect and look at somebody else. 
When we are feeling insecure, we want to justify ourselves by exposing others maybe. Or, or when Jesus is calling us to something, to shoulder responsibility, to obey, we can be so easily preoccupied with what others aren't doing. Well, he's not doing it. Why should I? It's important for us to understand what Jesus says here. What is it to you? You follow me. What is it to you? Jesus is saying that your story is your only story. No one else can run it. Nobody else can obey it. You're it. Our relationships with Jesus are unique. They're personal and they're precious. They are dynamically interrelated and yet very independent. God gave you something difficult to accomplish to responsibility to walk in, you've got to run it and you've got to obey it faithfully. A runner who veers off in another runner's lane is disqualified from the race. So to a believer consumed with comparing his or her life with that of another is discrediting their own God-given lane. Comparing Comparing is a mechanism of analyzing, which is actually a higher level of learning, technically, analyzing something. This is blue, this is green, and then we can compare, right? God gave us that mechanism, that metaphysical mechanism. The problem is when we actually use that mechanism to evaluate value and worth. It either leads to condemnation of self or belittlement of others. First, condemnation of self. This is what it could look like. Okay, church asks me to preach, and so I'm standing on this stage, and in, instead of just running my race, I could be like, wow, that's like where Pastor Z stands, and I can never be as good as Pastor Z. I can't do it as good as him, right? And I can start playing those thoughts in my head can't ever do what he does. Um, or you're, you're, you're in different business meetings, okay? Or you're at school in a classroom with presentations. I could never be as good as that business person. I could never learn like them. I could never present like them. I could never do business like them. I could never be a mother like that. Wow, look at how beautiful she is. I just don't have what it takes. Man. That's condemnation of self through comparison. So that's one extreme. But then com com uh, comparison can also lead us into somewhere else. Belittlement of others. Why isn't he doing it this way? Come on. I've already showed him how. He should just do it the way that I do it. Why can't he just, uh, he's, he's just not good enough. Why can't he be more like me? Why can't she be more like me in our marriages, anyone? Here's the thing, both roads end up leading you to speak the language of the devil, which is condemnation. And we know that there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we know that that's not our way. If we condemn ourselves, then we're setting ourselves up to be a copy, to be more like them, because we think that's the way towards success. Trying to be like, sound like, look like another person is running in vain. I've heard Dr. Dennis Mpebwa, who who's come here multiple times, he said this uh, before, you cannot have two runners in one lane. One is redundant and therefore not necessary. We cannot be copies. You cannot be copies. The kingdom of God cannot afford for you to be a copy. <laughs> but when we belittle others, we are more consumed with somebody else's speck rather than dealing with the plank in our own eye. And we veer off course. Spandex or not. <laughs> 
So comparing is not an option in the kingdom of God. How can the arm say, I don't need the ear? And how can the ear say, oh man, I'm not an arm? Yeah, I got time. Every single one of us have a lane and every one of us have a race. And each, there's different checkpoints for everybody's race, which means that I could be in a totally different season than somebody else, than you. There are mountaintop moments, there's valleys, there's wildernesses. We cannot afford to be in a wilderness. Everybody has those seasons, by the way. We, and we have to run them because there's fruit in the wilderness. There's fruit in the valley, not just the mountaintop. But we can't afford to be in our wilderness and look, man, wow, look at their mountaintop experience. Man, they just have it so great all the time. No, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Run it. My message title to you today is called Stay in Your Lane. Jesus said, what is it to you? You follow me. He says, stay in your lane. We must be so dedicated to our lane that nothing veers us off course. We got to have that kind of tenacity and conviction. Not this, yeah, I think, I think. No, we've got to muster, muster what God has planted from within. Not doubt it. We can't veer because of pain. We can't veer because of inconvenience, because of distraction, because of comfort, because of confusion, because of lost opportunity. No, no, we can't do that. We gotta have everybody in the race. Mm. Not even expectation of those you love should veer you off of your race. What is that to you? You follow me. I've talked a lot about my grandparents because I love them. I grew up with them. Uh, my grandfather, he was a medical doctor, leprosy specialist. He many years served here in the ni- in 1950s, one of the uh, few doctors here at the time. And uh, he, uh, when I was growing up, he, he, he wanted me to be a doctor so bad. He did. And so, uh, and I think it was because of the joy that he got from running his race, from being a medical practitioner. So even into his 80s, he would go every week to the leading hospitals of the city and sit in on the seminars with all the other doctors just to keep on learning and keep on growing. Amazing example for us. Uh, And so he wanted me to be a doctor, and so he would give these comments. You know, you could really do it. And as much as I liked, you know, performing small surgeries with a pocket knife with him, uh... (laughs) I, uh, I, I knew I couldn't do it. And uh, the thing is, is that I could not fulfill his expectation, walk in his shoes, and fulfill my call at the same time. I just couldn't. And you know, he would have, uh, he, he would have enjoyed it a lot if I had become a doctor. And, and it would have been great for maybe six months until he saw that I was miserable. And then he would have been miserable once I failed at being a doctor. And then we all would have been miserable. How fun is that? <laughs> no, we have to accomplish our call. Can I give you another illustration? So those are like one-time kind of moments where we, we must endure disappointing people's expectations. Haley and I planted a, a church, um, helped plant a church um, maybe 15 years ago back in America, and uh, it, a very unique church, a, a, a great one. Um, and my father was the pastor of that church, and uh, it became clear after a certain amount of years that um, everybody wanted me to take over the church. And it was a natural path. It was very clear that um, it could be passed on to me. And so that was the direction. In fact, I was pastoring in a different church. Uh, and the whole staff of my dad's church were going to take crazy pay cuts just to bring me on, just so that we could make it happen. But God had other plans. And so we, 
obviously, we're here. <laughs> we're not there. I still, every time I go back to America, I get greeted by very friendly faces of people that we love. But inside of them, some of them, is this long-standing resentment that I have disappointed their expectation. And there's these constant passive-aggressive phrases that can come out. They just come out because I didn't meet their expectation. We have to have so much tenacity to follow our call that we can endure. We've got to stay in our lane. We all want people to like us. We all want to be accepted, right? But we have to stay in our lane. We have to hear and obey God's voice. Sometimes we can be so consumed with, what will they say? Ba'amarinya, isn't it? I'm going to try it. Yalunta, lunta, yalunta, lunta. We can be so we even have a phrase for it here in Ethiopia. It's a disease. We're so consumed with what would they say that we're not even able to run. We're so consumed with what would they say that we're not even concerned with what he will say. I want to say this to you, and I hope that you'll take it, and you'll take it and run with it. Don't you realize we will have to give an account for what was in our lane? We won't have to give an account for what was in somebody else's lane. <sighs> that should be convicting for us and freeing for us at the same time. When you took that job, did you take it because it was in your lane or was it just because it paid what you wanted? When you do that favor for that person over and over, is it because you want them to like you or is it because you were called to do it? When you went to that school, studied that subject, is that someone else's expectation taking you off track or is it your lane, your calling? The fear of God must rise in this place. The fear of God must rise above the, what are they going to say? Above the fear of man. Above even our own expectations in Jesus' name. Can you let the fear of God rise in your spirit right now? Can you let it muster and overtake, overcome all those other excuses, all those other comforts, all those other expectations that are gnawing at you? In Jesus' name, let us be free of that. Whew, deliverance in Jesus' name. No one wants to let other people down, especially those we love. I didn't want to let my grandpa down. I didn't want to let those people in the church down over in America. But you know what? The best way to honor those who have gone before us is to actually stay in our lane and run as hard as we possibly can in our lane. That's the best way to honor. The baton was passed. It just passed in a different way than they expected. So why is this important? Why, am, why are we emphasizing it so hard? Because there's a lot at stake. There are consequences and there are rewards for what we're talking about here. When you stay in your lane, you don't just empower your call, but you empower the calls of those who are going behind you, after you, waiting for you. The relay race, right? There's the baton. Somebody is waiting, standing for you to pass the baton. In the lane, in the lane that you're running in, that you're supposed to be running in, the question is, are they going to receive that baton? Because they're there. If we don't stay in our lane, then our whole team gets disqualified. 
What is it to you if he lives or dies? You follow me. Church, don't misunderstand me, okay? We can benefit so much from each other's stories. So much, and we should. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us spur each other on in love and good deeds, right? We are supposed to be inspired by each other's stories, by what you are doing in the lane next to me. We're supposed to be inspired by that. We're just not supposed to veer into it. In fact, if we're truly going to, uh, we have to figure this out, guys. We have to learn how to be inspired and yet still run our race. There is no one-size-fits-all approach to our relationship with Jesus. What he asks of you, he'll demand of you. And what he speaks very loudly to you, he won't even talk to you about it all. Do we have to understand? No. Can we just divorce ourselves from the need to understand? From the need to be in the know? That's not our job. We're not the ones playing chess. God is. We're just the pieces. Divorce yourself from needing to know, to needing to understand. And when you divorce yourself from the need to know, guess what? Revelation is on the other side. What he asks of us is to stay in our lane. Uh, a couple days ago, I, uh, uh, I was getting out of the Beza office area, parking lot, and I was going home, and it was raining. It started raining really hard. And so I, I kept on driving. I wanted to go the route that I usually go. There's multiple routes that I could take. And so I, as I turn right into that road, I see uh, it is gridlocked. There is no getting through that space. And I'm looking at it like, this is going to take forever. And I'm one of those drivers. And I'm going to try and figure out another way. Okay? And so sure enough, I go to the next lane. And I pull up and I look down. Oh, gridlocked. It's blocked. There's nothing happening. I'm, and so I pull a Yui, and I think, ah, you know what? There's a secret passageway that nobody else knows about. And so I pull through, and it's a little bit bumpy. And I go through, and then this was the worst of all. I got so stuck. I had con or a cement flying from a construction site onto my car. It was like, it was pandemonium. It was a gridlocked situation. So I had to make my way after all of that. Guess what? Back to where I started. <laughs> and sure enough, if I had just stayed in my lane, I would have already been through. <laughs> just as lateral movement doesn't necessarily mean progress, restriction doesn't necessarily mean that you're being held back. It means that you can be empowered to run. Do you understand? Man, we spend so much time this, with this lateral movement. Get in your lane and run. It will propel you forward. Maybe you're thinking, Jesse, I just want to be free. I just want to, there's so much opportunity. I want to be able to do this and this and this. Hey, Jesus is not trying to take away your freedom. What he's trying to do isn't trying to restrict you from opportunity, but to focus in on your call. There's plenty of opportunities in your lane. Everywhere that there is a yes, there is also a no. Everywhere there is a no, there is also a yes. We must combat the tendency to turn our necks and compare. Or resist, we must resist the pressure of the illegitimate expectation that others have on us that shouldn't be there, that cause us to jump from our call. So how do we do that? I'd like to suggest that it's through choosing what we value. We have a choice. You have a choice of what you value. A couple years ago, um, when we were, uh, we go back to America every once in a while to visit family and friends. And uh, we went up into the mountains, uh, which I love the mountains. Believe it or not, I'm a mountain man. And so we went and we visited this town called Georgetown. And yes, it was founded by a guy named George. 
and uh, we had enough time, so we, we actually went to the museum of this little tiny town. And, and the, the guy gave us an amazing tour and taught us all about the history as a town that started in the 1800s. And it was started uh, during the gold rush, which was a time when people from England and France and the east coast of America rushed into the west because they found gold in the mountains. And so they were telling us the story of this really smart businessman, George, who went ahead of everybody else. The rush was happening, and there was a lot of land grabbing. <laughs> and uh, every, so he bought, he purchased a land uh, because he knew, ah, oh, there's something here. And then he went back and brought his family uh, from the East Coast to Colorado in the mountains. And so by that time, there was already mines being dug in the mountains around. There was a mountain here and here and here, the valley right here with the town. And then his mountains were this one, this one, and this one. And so these other mountains are starting to crank out gold. And they're cranking out it out like crazy. They can't get enough of it. I mean, it's just, it's a whole mill going on. They even built an underground railroad in the 1800s under the mountain to cart all of the gold to the processing facility like, like three miles away. It was amazing. So then George is, you know, here we go. And he gets his pickaxe and his workers, and they're digging and digging and digging. And they're like, just a little bit longer, just a little bit longer, digging, digging. And they can't find anything. They wake up the next day. Months go by, digging, digging, digging. They can't find any gold. And George is like, oh, my goodness. Did I get a dud? All the mountains around me are laying golden eggs, and I've got nothing. <laughs> and so he brings out a professional or, or a specialist. Now, he brings out a specialist, and the specialist is walking on the ridges of his mountains. And he's looking, he's looking, he's looking. And he whips out his pocket knife. And he bends down and he scrapes something off of the bare rock on the top. And he says, well, gentlemen, you've been digging for gold while stepping over silver. Turns out that the town, the valley was on a fault line and everything to the, to the west was gold and everything to the east was silver. They were digging for what their neighbors were harvesting while they had something right under their feet. They didn't even know what it looked like. They missed it. They were so rich and they didn't even know it. They were in the pursuit of what their neighbors had. When you are disappointed in your lane, it's natural to be disappointed, okay? It's okay to be disappointed. It's not okay to stay there. But it, could it be that it's because you haven't unearthed what you are standing on? What's in your lane? Wherever the grass is greener on the other side, there is a mine to be dug underneath you. In Jesus' name, hear this, church. Wherever the grass is greener, wherever you're having this tendency to look over, don't look over, look down. Because there is something in your lane for you. Keep digging, church. Keep running, church. Stay in your lane, church. Don't lose heart. Don't turn your head. Stay in your lane, for there is something in your lane. Galatians 6, 9 says it perfectly. Paul says this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap a harvest if we do not lose heart. Don't lose heart, church. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane, because you didn't create your lane. God did. Overcome jealousy. Overcome comparison by valuing what you have. Value your lane. Value your husband. Value your wife. Value your kids. Value your job. Value your country. Value where you came from because there's something there. There's something in it. 
just dig, just dig, just run, just run. Put on the spandex if you have to, just run. Beza, could we have a little family moment here? We, as Beza, are not like other churches. If you come into this house expecting us to be like other churches in this city, then we are going to disappoint you. Because we're not them. There are things that we are and there are things that we are not. We are an international, inclusive, bold branch of the body of Christ. And we specialize in certain things. We specialize in articulating the vision of God for the city. We don't specialize in other things, but we specialize in that for pointing the way forward. Can we learn from other churches? Absolutely, and we should. We can learn from their pastoral care. We can learn from programs that they're doing. We can learn from all those different things, what they have by nature. It's true, absolutely. But we have to stay in our lane as a church. We have to be careful not to do something that other people are doing in the city or in the country or whatever, simply to satisfy the expectations of those we love. You. Yeah, can we clap at that? That's good. In fact, we get into trouble when we try and satisfy uh, your expectations. We've got to run. Church, we need you to run with us. We need you to get in the lane of Beza and run with us and declare and, and speak vision into our city so that implementers and others can run around and, and rally around it so that we can really see the transformation of God in our society. So sheep in the room, sheep in the room, where are you? Where are you? Can, can you embrace who we are as a church and not trip up on who we aren't? Can you make this your home in that way? That's the only way to really make it a home, by the way. Church, can I take it a step further? I understand that, that language comes with culture. It's naturally embedded within, okay? When we worship in Amharic, I, uh, by the way, I love it. Everyone aliltas, everybody shabshabas, and those who aren't, aren't too indoctrinated with the Pente culture, they, they, they can't help themselves, okay? I love it. The Amharic pulls it out of you. I know. And when we worship in English, we tend to worship the way the English worship. More stoic, more contemplative, more reserved. Again, I understand that embedded into culture or embedded into the languages is the culture. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But here's the problem. We ain't in England. And we certainly aren't in America. We're in Africa. And we gotta worship the way that we worship because we gotta stay in our lane. If we lose ourselves to experience something else, we have traded our call for somebody else's. Do we have the wherewithal? the mental capacity, the intentionality to keep in our lane while outside of our context. I understand us being together, speaking English, which happens to be my native tongue, you're all, we're, we're actually gravitating towards the English culture. But do we have the wherewithal? Do we have the dedication to learn from it while staying in our lane? Can we learn from other people's culture, other people's personality, other people's callings while holding on to and maximizing ours? I can't get my uncles and aunts to Alilta. They've got to worship the way they can worship, the way that God has designed them to worship. We need to praise the way that we were designed to praise. So next time that Musay leads some Swahili song or some Amharic song, 
Are we gonna ship Sheba? Are we gonna escape? Are we are we gonna are we gonna Lilta? Don't get me wrong. We can and should learn from the West, from the East, for that matter. We really should. But if we try and run their race the way they do, then the implication is not only do we become a copy, but we ensure that they will never be able to learn from us. I do have a motive here. Not only am I preaching to you, I have a flock in the States, a a, a global flock that is needing to learn from us here. But if we're a copy, then they're not going to learn. Rather, in the kingdom, when we run our race, it's the most powerful encouragement for others to run theirs. God will judge the stride. God will judge the pace of others. You just stay in your lane. So Africa, as we develop, stay in your lane. As we learn excellence, stay in your lane. As we sing our songs, let's stay in our lane. As we sing in English, even songs that were written in the West, let's stay in our lane. Don't get caught up. Let's not get caught at the finish line of our race when Jesus is saying, oh, that was great over here. That was great over here. That was great. Wow, what you did over here? Wow, that was really fantastic. The problem is, is that I actually asked you to do this. Let that not be our story. There is a value in your race. There's a value in your lane. There's a value for our city. There's a value for our church and what our church's lane is. The question is, are we going to value it, to stay in it? Now, I want to conclude here. If you have found yourself like Peter, where you have had the propensity of turning your head and saying, what about her? What about him? I'm here to tell you with hope and with grace that God's grace is so powerful. God's grace is so amazing that it redeems time, that when we submit to his call, we can can be running out of our lane for years. It's not too late. It's not too late. Get in your lane. Get in your lane because the grace of God is sufficient. And here's the thing is that when Jesus and Peter went on that walk on that beach, Jesus didn't just restore him in his relationship. He restored him into his purpose. It doesn't matter how many times you feel like you failed. It doesn't matter how many times you feel like you've failed God or denied God. Whatever. Get on that beach with Jesus. Walk with him on that beach and let him restore you in relationship into your deepest being and let him restore you in your purpose because we need you in your lane. We need you to run and we need you to run hard. Let him free you today from the claws of comparison, from the erosion of illegitimate uh, expectation of others. Let him alleviate, let, let him free you from the fear of pain. Let him free you from the lethargy of distraction today. Are you receiving this right now? Be free in Jesus' name. Be free in Jesus' name. You got to run your race because we need you to. The body of Christ needs you to. This city needs you to. Don't look to the right or the left. What is it to you? Jesus says, follow me because there's something in your lane. I made that lane for you. I made that lane for you. Don't discredit it. That hurts him. Don't discredit it. Cherish it. Value it. Run. Could we stand together? Just as Jesus said this to Peter, he said, do you love me? Do you love me? And he restored him into his purpose. Now I say to you, do you love him? Then start that business. Do you love him? Then cherish that lane. Do you love him? 
Do you love him? Are you convicted so much so that you are willing to obey the call, willing to take on that responsibility? Teach those children. Be engaged with that family. Love your mother. Love your wife. Love your husband. I speak restoration over your souls now in Jesus' name. I speak the restoration of your purpose, restoration of your relationship with God, restoration with your lane in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, forgive us, Jesus, for turning our heads. Jesus, forgive us for comparing with that of our neighbor, with their season. Forgive us for discrediting our own seasons, for, for, for having jealousy take over for having jealousy dictate our decisions. Today, Lord God, free us. Thank you, Lord, for your freedom to break the yoke of comparison over our lives. Break it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving us. Lord, for holding others, our children, our bosses, our leaders, our spouse, for holding them accountable and responsible for the race that they were never made to run. Jesus, forgive us for, for putting on expectations that wasn't theirs to carry. Thank you for your forgiveness, God. We walk on that beach with you now. We walk on that beach. Thank you, Jesus. Restore us, God. Restore us of our relationships. Restore us into our lane. Restore our neck back to focusing ahead. Thank you, Lord, for restoring us with the baton that we hold. Restore us, oh God, with our relationships, with our relay teams. Restore us, oh God, in Jesus' name. Today, I bless you with the courage to run your race. I bless you with the wisdom to know what your lane is and, in, is and what it is not. I bless you with the joy to run your race, to keep looking forward, to follow him, to say, to be able to utter the words of God. What is it to me? What he does, what she does to the right and to the left. I'm going to follow Jesus. Decide now. Decide now. In Jesus' name, may conviction arise in our spirits that nothing will veer us from the right or the left. In Jesus' name we pray.